there comes a time when you do have to give up what you consider your individual right of making your own decision for the greater good of society. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Thursday, May 12, 2022. Thank you for joining me today. A focused short show. Actually, wasn't planning on getting to this today, but there was a couple of topics that stood out to me. One in particular about Louisiana that I knew would upset and be important to a lot of people out there. But another interesting conversation that I'm looking at as more of an investigatory discussion today in regard to what is an an optimized or stabilized spike protein. There's a lot of different discussions being being that have been had around this topic for quite a while that I found out recently in regard to I mean 2018, 2019, 20 all around specifically SARS-CoV-1 but then being applied to SARS-CoV-2, to the injections, but all at a time before this has even really gotten started. And it was framed as a monumental shift in the way this was going to work, except now it's being applied again, going forward as the next step. Sort of as I've discussed, many of you have been following this discussion since the beginning of all this, we discussed the interesting discussion of self-amplifying mRNA, which was in fact the very first thing that was discovered and then they used the regular, so we're told, mRNA or mod RNA is what it actually is, modified RNA. But then yet now they're talking about, in a different conversation, self-amplifying as the next step. It makes me wonder why that wasn't applied first, if it's the next step. Different conversation. Same thing discussed here today, though. What this actually is. What is a stabilized spike protein? And why is it being applied? And what can it do? And what are we seeing happen in the world today? What do we know about the spike protein? Very interesting, and I think it'll interest you as well. But let's start off today with this Louisiana topic. Thank you for the individual who shared this with me today. It's actually unbelievable this is even happening, especially at a time where we're at a position where they're admitting themselves that we are no longer in the, you know, however they want to try to equivocate and frame this as like, no, we're not over. The pandemic's happening, but we're not in the pandemic phase anymore, whatever that even means. They're rolling back the point that we're no longer at the emergency state, the peak of the problem. We're at a point where now, well, we got to live with it like the flu, says the FDA days ago. But yet we're still in an emergency that justifies emergency authorizations, but we're treating it like the flu. I mean, you can't live both these worlds at the same time, right? You can't then argue that going forward, the unknown is the reason we have to keep doing that. That's illogical. There's unknowns in any situation, but that's a long COVID and we don't know what might happen. We don't know for sure. Well, yeah, we kind of do at this point. As we just discussed with Dr. McCullough and, and author John Leake and the discussions around the fact that they're proving this. <clears throat> in fact, something I played at the beginning of our interview with Dr. McCullough is this clip itself. Gamble is to gamble away from the vaccine and away from potential harm. Now, Jessica Rose in her first paper showed that the non-fatal 
um, reactions tend to be um, uh, cardiac, uh, cardiovascular, neurologic, and immunologic. They tend to occur quickly after the shot. Again, a tight temporal relationship. And with Rose, she's a, a really a tight, tight uh, epidemiologist, but virologist. She's made the case that we've completely fulfilled the Bradford Hill criteria for causality. We have a dangerous mechanism of action. We have a tight temporal relationship. We have internal consistency between death and the non-fatal um, events. We have external consistency because this is seen in the MHRA system, the yellow card system, and in the UDRA, UA, the EMA system. We've basically got it. We have fulfilled Hill's tenets of causality. The vaccine is causing these events. I mean, this is information you can vet for yourself. The bottom line is that it's overwhelmingly obvious that there's at least questions to be asked here that are simply being pushed back as conspiracy theory by the very people supposed to be checking the things that Dr. McColl is talking about. But this is undeniable at this point. It's very clearly being shown that these things, I mean, it's almost insulting to look back on this whole process and realize that almost every single thing that was pointed at, not as absolute fact, but as possible as we should be worried about this we should be able to refuse this injection because of the which you should always be able to do in any case but because of the risk that we don't know about or because of the things that might be there or because of the scientific studies showing things like myocarditis bell's palsy blood clots vaccine induced thrombosis thrombocytopenia oh every which way were called conspiracy theory until they admitted that they were there but really 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 rare right okay well at what point do we realize that they were wrong And maybe they're wrong again by saying it's very rare. Maybe they're lying to you again by calling it really rare. In any case, the point is, why would we at a stage now where we know it causes myocarditis and whichever equivocation you want to make there, you can still admit that it does, can, or any other discussion. And now we're pointing forward and saying that we should be forcing this on people as if we now know for sure we know everything, even though they said the same thing then and clearly didn't. I mean, this is just irrational in every possible way, even if you think it has a beneficial effect. It should be the choice of the family, the, ch- the people involved. As <laughs> It's amazing that I even have to say that as a contentious point. So it brings us to a discussion of what this is being, how this is being forced on not just adults, but children in a situation where they are at the least risk from top to bottom. Now, let me actually, I haven't brought this up in a while. Just relevant for those that might not have seen it. It's even coming up anymore. Here we go. Um, no, that's not the one. Oxford Risk Calculator. I misspelled that. Let's see. Here we go. <clears throat> so this is this is the the COVID risk calculator that we haven't looked at in a minute, actually. But the last time we checked it, and let's do this live and see what it says. It shows you lowest you can go is 19, which is kind of strange. I mean, it seems everybody else seems to be involved. It's not like it only stops at 19. So I really wonder why they chose to do that. I think I know why, but make your own assessment. Let's just go male. Just do the really basic stuff here. Applying it to myself for the most part. Where Where is even... Am I crazy? Am I missing the... Another white background? That's strange. <laughs> it's just, you're just way at the bottom of the corner. Another another thing over there. That's kind of funny. Um, no, I'm going to forget this as well. I forget what the numbers were. Oh, right here. It was 150, and this is 67, I think. Oops. Sorry for the momentary adding, but just, this is important for people to see if they haven't seen it. So adding my general information, nursing home here or neither, 
I'm just putting putting in no problems, no issues. I'm not in a nursing home. I don't have any sickness. So the bottom line is a healthy person. And we're doing 19 years old, but this is applying to the children we're about to discuss who are much younger, which guarantees the risk and the problems will be lessened, which that's the data even they're admitting to. Children are basically, this is non-existent in their world. The, the, I shouldn't say that being obviously not non-existent, but it's extremely small and it's less than any other risk we're talking about, even the flu or anything else. This is basic information that you can engage with yourself, except if you go on Twitter, they'll call you a fake news conspiracy theorist because they're not looking at facts and information. They're looking at the news and what am I supposed to think is the information? And then they shout you down for looking at it. They did the same thing about myocarditis. They're still doing the same thing about whether it's in your DNA, whether it spreads in your bloodstream, whether they're still at the point where they're going, it stays in your shoulder and goes nowhere else. I mean, that was 2020 land. (laughs) This has been verified by even their own peer-reviewed science now that this is circulating your bloodstream. It's causing blood clots. I mean, it's it's baffling to watch the way people are doing this. Back to the point. Going down to uh, none. Okay. They add, they've added a lot of other stuff in here, by the way. <laughs> Neurological problems. Like, why would you add all these other things that seem to be being caused by the... Uh, anyway. Okay. Calculate. Let's see what it says, guys. Let's see. So this one has broken it down to... Here we go. There's a bunch, they've added a bunch of different stuff here. Here's the main point. So 19-year-old, risk of catching and dying from COVID-19. Catching and dying. Absolute risk. It literally says one in a million. I just want people to remember that. And I make this point every time. We use the term one in a million, like colloquially, like, like impossible. Oh, that's like one in a million. Well, yeah, that's kind of the point. So if we're literally realizing here, we're literally pointing out here that they have an in one in a million risk, which we generally point at as being impossible, the way we use it kind of colloquially, colloquially I can't even say that word today, in, a, in passing, then we have to realize that this risk is at the very least not enough to force children who are at less risk because they're under 19 to get it. But you go ahead and look at the rest of this information. Take a screenshot, take the link, which will be in the show notes, and do the risk, the information for yourself. Here's another experiment. Why don't you jump up to 45 healthy and be baffled about the fact that your risk is way, 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 way lower than pretty much anything else you're dealing with today. But what? But you're still being forced. Otherwise, you're going to lose your job, especially in the UK. None of this makes sense to anybody who has brain cells to rub together. Now, the point is, Louisiana you're weirdly enough, not able to look at this without entering in your address and your information. I guess I could have just lied and picked an address, but nonetheless, the point is you can check it out for yourself. I've got the rest of the links going forward. I find it odd though, that you have to kind of prove yourself. Why wouldn't you be able to look at Louisiana legislation? Interesting. And you can, you get my point, but here's the actual clip just to show you that what we've shared with me and I'll go to the actual legislators talking about this, but it's basically saying, and of course, It says right there, don't miss this, the proposed amendment adds vaccines for SARS-CoV-2 to the list of required vaccinations for school entry to the extent that such vaccines are approved by the FDA. Now, this is monumentally important. What they're essentially saying there, there's two things that can happen here. Now, this is Rule 701 of Chapter 7, Title 51, Public Health Immunization Requirements from Louisiana, Department of Health. There's one of two things that are going to happen here. Either they're going to pretend that these are approved and give them to children because of this law, which they're not. They're emergency authorized, especially for children. There's no child level. In, it, it, uh, the community is in, I think, is 12 and above. Even the supposedly approved thing that they've never given to anybody while they're still giving you the emergency authorized with liability waivers while pretending they're giving you the approved thing that's never been given out. They may give it to them pretending that it's approved, which I kind of don't think that's the way this is going to go. I think what this is meant to do, my opinion, 
is pass this legislation or the idea that it has to, that when they're approved will be will they will be part of their school schedule, which means they're required to get these or they can't go to school. Then you have a some leverage to drive the idea that they need to be approved. Otherwise, kids can't go to school. Well, what happens once they get approved for children? Do you remember this conversation? The defender talked about this, RFK Jr. And he's right. This is a huge point that once these are approved, not emergency authorized, but approved for children and scheduled for schools like this, they have blanket liability. Right now, with the so-called the community and so-called approved one, the reason that's not being given out, in my opinion, is because they are then on the hook for whatever then follows. The emergency, they're not. Emergency authorized version, they're not. They have complete indemnity. You know this. So why are we in this weird limbo where they're still giving emergency authorized injections based on an isolate that's not even in circulation, which is causing people to have antibody-dependent enhancement? They're hurting people. And then holding back this thing they claim we're just not ready to give out yet, supposedly approved, while they're making a new one? How does that even make sense? But then waiting to get this driven in. So then all of a sudden, nothing means anything anymore. Give it to the kids. And then, by the way, once we have the approved version they're just going to abstractly lend that over to the platform version to pretend like we don't need any more safety trials because it's just a new variation of the same thing. That's the mRNA platform direction they're going. They're going to apply that logic to the universal one. Mark my words. They've already said this. We don't even need more safety trials because we are that. Yes, they do. This is a bastardization of the reality. Bottom line, though, is it says approved right there. And it says all potential boosters. That's going forward, guys. They're they're essentially adding in, in what's the term, in perpetuity. That any new things that come, any new boosters, if they just decide tomorrow that you need 14 more, they're going to all potential boosters. Potential. Guys, this is criminal. I mean, you could even apply this. You could even apply this to, I mean, any other injection, right? I mean, literally anything. And the fact that you're just basically making this broad statement going forward that anything we say going forward is a requirement for you to go to school. What if they're wrong? What if they're criminal? Are we going to pretend like there hasn't ever been a criminal individual in the government that makes choices that are in their interest and the counter of the people? Nah, that's never happened before. But just blindly just sign off your life to whatever they say going forward. Man, that's just incredible to me. Now, here is A.G. Jeff Landry, Je uh, Attorney General in Louisiana Department of Justice. He says, it's disappointing the Senate Health and Welfare Committee killed HCR3. I encourage all parents that want health freedom for their children to implore their senators and to override the committee and let this full Senate vote. Now, this is in regard to the fact people are trying to stop this from happening. In fact, we'll, let's put it this way to make it clear that it was already happening. It's already passed and that these are people trying to stop that. Now, it says, I want to thank Senators Mizzle, McMath, and Hensgen for voting in support of parents, basically trying to stop this from happening or being the reality. Now, here's the link for the information. That's what brings you to this, where you can enter your address and check it out for yourself. Here is a article discussing this. Lawmakers fail to reverse Governor John Bell Edwards' decision to add COVID-19 injections to school shot lists for requirements. Come August, most high schoolers in Louisiana will have to now show proof of a COVID injection or submit a, risk, a written exemption to attend school after an effort among lawmakers to reverse the rule by Governor John Bell Edwards fell apart Wednesday. Now, it's interesting. Ask yourself why this is necessary where we are right now. Now, you know, as I've said, and we could all see that this, this was just a narrative slowdown. The agenda actually sl underneath it all kept increasing. 
But the point is that they've pretended like this was going. People that aren't aware of this, like I jokingly said the other day, I was behind somebody in line that was like, oh yeah, back when COVID was a thing, they're in the mind that this is over. They're in for a hard reality here. And, and the problem is that this is, a lot of them see that, think that way. But even though, even though we're not in that situation, they've been allowed them to think that it's gone, but yet now we're pretending like you need to prove that you have this thing, this, this injection for something that we're not supposed to think is even a problem anymore. I mean, it's like, don't forget. I mean, I'm not pretending like they're not still stressing it as the biggest thing since sliced bread, biggest problem in the future. And it's going to come back. But nonetheless, how do you going to pretend that a person with a one in a million chance or a much, you know, better standing than that? Need to get something that absolutely increases the risk of myocarditis, that absolutely adds other risks to their life when they don't, when they have a less than the flu risk. This is just basic understanding. This is the only, I mean, anybody who understands where we really are, listening to what they're actually telling you, has no other choice but to stand back and think that this is irrational. This is not based on science. This is based on narrative and policy and politics. Now, if the parents want to choose to make that allow them to have this or force them to, that's the parents' prerogative, and you can hold them accountable for that. But from a teacher's perspective, to force this on the children, or rather an administrative, or rather, I mean, it's not even administrative. I argue they have a role in this, but from a government level to say that you have to have this thing. It's not even approved. We're talking about an emergency authorized injection that they admit is experimental, that is literally genetically altering, that is scientific peer-reviewed studies have shown does, in fact, alter your DNA over and over. They just keep yelling that's not true. The science and peer-reviewed show you that. But here we are, no risk or low risk, and we're forcing it on them anyway. The Democratic governor's decision last year to add the COVID-19 jab to the school shots list caused a stir among lawmakers, though at the time they could do little more than ask Edwards to stand down. He didn't budge. So opponents tried a different strategy, a legislative resolution, which is where this is failing. So this is moving forward. (coughs) Excuse me. Following a tense hearing Wednesday, the Senate Health and Welfare Committee voted four to three to reject the resolution, keeping Edwards' rule alive. The resolution was to stop it. Now, under that rule, students age 16 and up, beginning in the fall, will have to show proof of vaccination against COVID-19 or submit an extent exemption to attend public schools, colleges, and universities. This goes all the way up. Younger age groups would be added to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration as the U.S. Drug Administration expands full licensure. That's the point right there, right? So they're going to just include if it's months old, one-year-old, as far down as they want to go, as long as the FDA gives them that leeway. Now, understand, yes, they say exemption, but we've already seen how this works, guys. The illusion of some kind of process is everywhere. We've spoken to people like that. They, when, we spoke to, what, uh, the, uh, what was, I'm blanking on her name all of a sudden, a great interview with that very brave nurse who told us, Melanie, I believe was her name, that she and she she's a Christian. Practice. She worked at a a a hospital inside of a, a church, or not inside of a church, but part of a church uh, compound. <laughs> and she and you know not not that that necessarily proves anything, but that she she had been a part of that community her whole life. And now she doesn't want to get the injection, and she tried to do a religious exemption as a, a practicing Christian inside of a church community, and they turned her down. As, as they told her that they didn't believe that she had actually believe they didn't ha- she didn't have what they call. Uh, they basically said that they don't we don't believe that you are actually a Christian. Can you believe that? The point is that there's always it's just subjective. So if we're going to give the exemption and hand it to the same school board that's going to say, well, nope, we don't think it's in your best interest, that's where this tends to go. Or even let's just say you give them the exemption and then instead they punish them every single day in school, make them sit in certain areas and don't let them play with kids. And I mean, that's where this goes. 
Then you drive the kid who doesn't even know what they're under, what is happening to petition their own parents to say, I want to go play like everybody else. Let me do this thing that they don't understand is not in their best interest. Like all other vaccines on the state immunization schedule, parents and students can, they say, easily opt out of the requirement with either a letter from the medical provider or a simple signature in dissent. But that's not actually true, right? Because first of all, a medical provider is going to be hard pressed to find one that's going to do that right now, afraid to get called out for it as well as just because they don't believe in it. But a simple signature in dissent is not going to get it done. We've seen this happen, despite them saying that's all you need. It says still, Badgley argued that most parents aren't even aware that they're even able to go through that process, even if that process doesn't even actually come to fruition, to opt out provisions and suggested the rule was an attempt to force children to get vaccinated. Because that's what this is. Because don't forget, even if that process is not real, they're not even telling them it's there, right? This is the simple idea that people are scared right now, and they're aware that they are going to get shouted down. They're going to get attacked if they go do any of this stuff. So here we are. Here's a picture of a kid in school, ninth grader right now getting shot because of all of this. Now, remember also simultaneously all around the country, they're passing legislation that says, oh, by the way, 12 year olds, 12 year olds and up don't even need parents consent anymore. This is rapidly getting out of control. It's long since been off the rails, right? This is alarming with what we know is happening to these kids. Now, here's Health Freedom, Louisiana saying HCR3, which is the, the title of the bill, failed to pass, or the, the resolution to stop it, failed to pass Senate Health and Welfare with a party line of vote four to three. Chairman Mills abstained, which is unfortunate, right? Because it would have been at least four to four, I would argue. Once again, Louisiana is first in the race nobody else wants to be a part of. The only state in the country to require COVID vaccination for school attendance. Now it says they, they should be they should be set as, they should set aside funding for lawsuits for injuries that occur from this requirement for failing in their fiduciary duty to inform parents of their right to opt out. That's important. But on top of that, ask yourself about the informed consent discussions we've had. Are they letting every single kid know that there's a possibility of antibody dependent enhancement? Oh, oh no, I wonder why not, seeing as how this has been there since 2020. This is not, this is unequivocal, peer-reviewed, where it simply finds at the end of the day, and this is in 2020, guys, the specific and significant COVID-19 risk of antibody-dependent enhancement, which means if you get COVID after getting the injection, read through it for yourself, you have the risk of getting antibody-dependent enhancement. It says it right here may worsen COVID-19 disease via antibody-dependent enhancement. That's after you have the injection. What they're saying is the specific and significant risk of that should have been and should be now prominently and independently disclosed to any research subjects, anybody in the trials, and anybody getting the injection in order to meet medical ethics standard for informed consent. That's unequivocal. I've been showing this since 2020. The point is they're not telling anybody that. Now it gets even worse now that you realize this was just simply acknowledging that these things have coronavirus vaccines historically have had this issue. That's what they talk about in the links that I've played. I'll actually just play this one short one really quickly to make sure you guys know what point we're at if you haven't seen this discussion before, because this is incredibly important where we are. They're trying to train the body's immune system to target the right part of the virus because getting it wrong can be dangerous. We know that historically with coronaviruses, that if you do vaccinate with the wrong kind of vaccine, for instance in domestic cats who have a similar viral infection, that you can make the disease more severe. Right, exactly. It's pretty simple. Fauci said the same thing. So the point is that this is just about generally the risk, but now we're at a point where we're seeing and acknowledging that we're you know, their narrative anyway, that we're not dealing with the same original thing. We're talking about Delta and Omicron and all these different. So the point is beyond a shadow of a doubt, we're dealing with something different. Yes, it's the variant. It's saying it comes from the same point, but it produces different antibodies. 
right? This is the bottom line. This is easy to look up. So now we're in a situation where you're being given an injection that's causing antibodies that you don't need. Gee, I wonder why it's hurting people. You literally just heard him say why. Here's the thing saying that's a possibility. Now back to the point. Are they telling people that? Are they, are they saying, hey, young child, hey, mother, this can do this to your child? Are they saying, hey, this can cause antibody-dependent enhancement? This can cause myocarditis. This can give them seizures, blood clots, Bell's palsy. No, none of that. It may be listed in some abstract document that they don't even have in front of them that they pretend they should have had known to look at, as UK said. It's your job to inform yourself. That's actually not even true. It's called informed consent for a reason. It's their job to make sure that you are informed before you give your consent. These people are criminals. This is where we are. This person tries to come back and say, well, if only there was a forum, parents could fill out exempting their children from literally any vaccine on the schedule. Oh, wait, here it is. Well, you smug person. How about you ask the question of whether the parents are even aware that it's there? Is it their job to know it's there? No, that's part of informed consent for them to let them know this is a form you can fill out. Should you want to say no, they're not doing that. That's the first point. But here's what they follow up to make the point on. And I agree. Many parents in ignorance of the law fill this form out. So what they're saying is, yes, well, first of all, my point is they don't even know it's there. But then Health Freedom Louisiana points out to this smug commenter that guess what? That form is not in their best interest. It says we advise against using that form. It is not required by law, so you don't need to fill that out. And it includes language that the parents, basically, this is the way they trick you. So you think you're filling out a form that says, I don't have to do this, but it actually includes language that the parents acknowledges their child will be excluded from campus during an outbreak of the preventable disease. Bottom line, so if they claim something's happening, even if we get into the medical pre-crime territory, well, then they could just go, well, you child have to go sit in that corner or in this little isolation room as long as we say so because you filled out that form or because your parent didn't know any better and thought that's what was supposed to happen. You see, this is the kind of people we deal with. They're, oh, you dummy, you just fill this form out. They don't even know what they're talking about. And I bet you, Sarah, well, I don't want to assume. The point is that it's obvious that this is a game that's being played. You simply just have to say, no, thank you. Now, yes, in the reality of the world today, they've gone above and beyond. They, they don't care about your rights anymore. So if you just stand there and say, I don't want this and my child doesn't have to take it, well, they're going to come after. They're going to do things to make your life more difficult. And that's how broken things are. But the, legally, you do not have to do this. There's no way this, I mean, from every possible angle. Now, I'm not, I mean, I mean in anybody's situation right now, I, I recommend if you're in a position like this, that you seek out legal counsel, that you find somebody to make sure you're making the right choices for your family. Because just because it's right doesn't mean that it's going to be the best thing for you in this moment, right? We realize that the things are broken right now. But the bottom line is the law is on your side. And this, we're just in a really, really bad way. And this says COVID is not a vaccine preventable disease. I mean, exactly, right? I mean, think about that. They're proving that right now. Anyways, as parents can use any language to dissent from the requirement, they don't have to sign this form. We have a simple form on our website, which you should check out. Link is right here. But, you know, just because they say it doesn't mean it's true either. Do your due diligence. Make sure you're doing the right thing. Also, please note that possible exclusion is the only consequence for submitting an exemption. Your child cannot be tested, masked, or separated because of their exemption from the vaccine. Know your rights. They'll do it if you don't know any better. Finally, we just talked about this yesterday, Scott and I on the show. We just we discussed yesterday or that we had yesterday. This is coming from CNN. It's almost it's almost I, I mean, I laughed when I read this. Their their article literally says growing share of COVID-19 deaths are among vaccinated people. Well, yeah, we know that. But booster shots substantially lower the risk. 
Right. So the risk that you're gaining from a shot, the booster lowers the risk that the booster gives you. That makes sense, right? Oh, no, but the booster's not the same thing. Yeah, it is. Same thing, same dose, same shot. So we're getting, just because they call it a booster from the shot, two doses of the booster, you're taking more of the same thing. So they're going, this thing is causing deaths among vaccinated people, but get another one because it lowers the risk of the thing that you just took that caused the same thing. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, we're in a utter clown world. Now, look, I'm not saying that I, I, I can acknowledge that their argument, I get what they're trying to argue. And I, I have explained why it's ridiculous. That because most people are vaccinated, therefore it's going to take up the highest share of the. Well, yes, but that's true to a degree, except they would have never told you that it would be the majority of people dying would be those with the injections. Even when they made that argument, they still won't say that. That's what's happening, by the way. But on top of that, the risk per 100,000, hear me on this, is higher. Look at the UK data. You have an exponentially higher risk of getting COVID-19 if you have these boosters in your body. Four times the risk in most categories. And then even the death rate among pretty much 18 to 45 is inconsequential. 0.2, 0.3, sometimes 0.2, 0.2. Bottom line being your risk of dying is pretty much the same in those categories, even if you have three versus nothing. So why would you be in a situation where you have a four times the risk of getting sick, which could then kill you, according to their narrative, and that risk is the same? Bottom line, that means that no injections is a safer scenario, at least in those categories. But you know my thoughts on everything else. But yeah, go ahead and get it because... The thing that's killing you will also make you safer. (laughs) That makes sense. Funny how they shy away, though, from what they mean to say. It's a growing share. Absolutely. I acknowledge that. But it's also been the majority of the total for a long time now. Not just growing, which they want you to think of the small fraction that's getting bigger. Nope, it's been the majority. So that majority is getting even larger. Don't forget that in British Columbia in in April, 93% of all the deaths were people injected. 93%. Let's not pretend like that makes sense, along with the fact that the risk per 100,000 being higher for the injected. But yeah, <laughs> keep getting them, though, because, you know, science. Moving on, let's talk about this to finish the show out today. This is a really interesting topic. Now, there's so much in this that I find interesting that I that I would hope that we could dig into and find more out about, because I find this to be very relevant. And this is the discussion of the stabilized spike protein. Now, what I find, let's just, just jumping ahead for a second to the point that I'll make in a minute. We've made this point a thousand times, and so have a lot of people, a lot of PhDs, doctors, scientists, experts across the board, Nobel laureates, talking about the fact that the spike protein by itself, however that finds its way into your body. Think about that. Let me say that again. The spike protein alone However, it finds its way into your body through an injection, through the air, shedding from someone else's skin, or being planted in you somehow, however you want to think about this, by itself causes disease. Period. Cytotoxic. It is dangerous. Okay, so then when they come around and go, here's an injection that causes these things to be grown in your body or created in your body. Why does that make sense to anybody? Okay, so we altered it. So it can cause the the antibodies and then it goes away. But we know it doesn't though, right? That's the lie. We know it doesn't. It circulates your bloodstream. We've talked about this many times. Now, I just, I forgot to grab this. I feel like I'm not going to find this one. Let's see. Shoot. Anyway, the, the, uh, the blood, dang it. I should have grabbed that before. There's, there's a study that we've talked about many times that gets into the discussion of which one was that? <laughs> it's going to drive me crazy. Of whether or not this is staying in your in your body. Oh, it's probably right here. Let me see. Nope, doesn't look like it. In any case, I'll try and grab that after the fact and include it. There's so many links that I have down there. It's incredible. 
The bottom line is we've discussed this, how it circulates in your body after one day, within one day. And here's the Salk Institute telling you, again, as I showed many times, this study proves the spike protein alone was enough to cause disease. And that's really important, not just illness, but that it causes disease, which has symptoms, which can then be spread. I've made this point many times before. So if you have spike protein in your body, however that happened, whether injection or COVID-19 or whatever, that then causes this disease and then spreads and somebody catches that. Now, let's say you never got COVID-19, but you have the spike protein circulating your body, which can then cause disease and spread and somebody else catches that. What is that? Doesn't seem to be COVID-19 if it came, if, if that's even what we're talking about, if it came from an injection that caused the growth of that and then you caught, spread that out. To me, that starts to sound like a self-spreading vaccine, starts to sound like some sort of a bioweapon, which is where this seems to go in my mind. Now, this is just hypothetical, but going back to the point, here is the briefing, the global COVID-19 summit that was going on today, and it appears to still be going on. Let's see, refresh it. Yep, still seems live. Now, here's an interesting point, by the way. Look at how many people are tuned in. This is a live White House global COVID-19 summit briefing. You remember what this used to be? This was like, you see 30,000 people tuned into these things. I mean, as of like months ago, this says 163 watching. Now I just took a picture just to make sure this was a while ago. This was right in the middle of it. And it was only 207. Just want to make a quick point there. What is, I don't, you know, I'm not even going to think about what that shows you. What do you think that shows you? If this is the most important thing happening and we're all in danger and there's only 200 people tuned in to find out what's going on, I think this is the illusion of the majority. Americans on all sides of the two-party illusion are well aware that this thing is not what we're being told. That's why they had to jam in every threat and attack and subterfuge, everything they could possibly do to trick you and attack you and undermine you into getting the injection to shove them way just barely past the 50% marker, right? Now, that went up to 60s and 70s. The point is the people were being attacked and threatened and forced into it. Half this country, right out of the gate, was immediately resistant to this. That's the illusion of the majority. But here's what Biden said. Now, by the way, this topic in general is very interesting, isn't it? And I discovered this all on my own, completely found this by myself. No, I'm just kidding. I know somebody's watching. That's why I said that. The point is that my brother is doing a fantastic job out there. <laughs> he's, he's sending me some very interesting stuff like this. And I really appreciate the work he's doing. Maybe, hopefully, he'll find his way to Tennessee and he can join, join the group and, and help us fight this. But shout out to my brother for finding this really interesting topic. This is a clip that he sent me. And that's the brave thing that's still alive. Just take a quick listen to what he had to say. It will share critical COVID-19 technologies through the World Health Organization COVID-19 Technology Access Pool. We're making available health technologies that are owned by the United States government, including stabilized spike protein that is used in many COVID-19 vaccines. We're standing up a new pilot program working with the Global Fund to expand access to rapid testing and antiviral treatments for people. A stabilized spike protein owned by the United States government. Very interesting. Now, you know, that in the larger conversation, maybe people might not think that stood out too much, but the idea of a stabilized spike protein, it really caught my, both of our attention. And I said, that's, that's interesting. You know, because I, I, it's been a conversation, as I'll show you, but I haven't heard that personally. And I've been looking, as you know, 
You tell me in the chat, have you heard about this discussion? Have you heard about a stabilized spike protein that's literally owned by the government that stems back to MERS and SARS and that was discussed as a, a huge in, step in the right direction, but seemingly wasn't talked about when it first, I mean, it's very interesting to me. Now, I want us to think about what this really is, what we just, just talked about, and I'll come back to it in a minute. What the Salk Institute and plenty of others pointed out about the spike protein by itself and whether or not this is something that has been made, cultivated, altered, gain of function research. Right? Just something to consider. This is just a quick search on what you'll find in a lot of these different discussions. Let's go through a couple points here. Here's one that goes back to July 2021. That goes further back. I'll show you in a second. But this is where this is where it shows that they're they see I can't say whether or not it goes further back that they found this, but what I could find where they they decided, at least put out there in the studies, that this has a positive effect. SARS-CoV-2 spike protein stabilized in the closed state. Now that's important. What you're finding is some, we'll get into some natural alterations that stabilize in different ways that seem to have dangerous effects. But they're saying when they can stabilize it in a closed state, that they can get neutralizing responses. Now, what it says here is the long-term success. Now, understand, guys, regardless of whether we're talking about a closed state or any other variation therein, we are watching what this is doing to people. Just to jump ahead yet again, the point is that this is what apparently these injections are all using, This, this uh, what it's called. I'm jumping ahead and I do that. It's in the other articles. The P2 formula, I will get to it in a second. The point is that that is what all of these injections are using. And we're watching what this is happening. I mean, they're going to deny this, obviously, but the point is that look at Thayer's, look at the information, look at the myocarditis and the blood clots and the strokes and everything this is doing, which we know the spike protein is capable of doing. And then, of course, you add on the lipid nanoparticles and the mRNA and everything else that's happening makes it exponentially worse. But so if we're going to pretend that this closed state is doing something different, we need to ask why then it's still aggressively hurting people, which it is. So what it says is the long-term success of vaccination strategies depends upon inducing antibodies that provide long-lasting broad immunity against evolving SARS-CoV-2 strains. Well, that's exactly the point in any kind of vaccination campaign, historically speaking. Except that's never been what this has ever done. Not once, not in the entire process. From the moment this began, we watched this thing dissipate as the, again, just as we were told, the narrative goes, these variants continue to pop off, seemingly correlating exactly with the administration of the vaccine. Gee, I wonder why. You guys know why. I've gone over this many times. The research before COVID shows you that these, that what they've done and how this is working is exactly how you grow variants, exactly how you create variants, whether on purpose or not. Except now it's all because you're unvaccinated, even though this is literally what the opposite of what they said before. But the bottom line is, that's not what this has done. It does not provide long-lasting broad immunity against strains or whatever. Nope, not even once. Except what we've been telling you from the very beginning, and this is just one of the most important ones that happened in the process halfway through or so. There's plenty of other articles I've shown that go all the way back to the beginning that say this even, even before you even got infected. You somehow managed to have most of adults seem to have immunity. Here is the most important one that says ultra-potent antibodies against diverse and highly transmissible SARS-CoV-2 variants come from what? Natural engagement. Our study demonstrates that convalescent subjects previously infected with the ancestral strain, so very beginning, when they say ancestral, they're talking about whatever we claim is the genetic code that they sent, which we're talking about, whatever we're talking about in the very beginning. People that came across that produce antibodies that cross-neutralize emerging and continuing to emerge variants of concern with high potency. Structural and functional analyses reveal that antibody breadth is mediated by targeting a site of vulnerability at the RDR, the RBD tip offset from major mutational hotspots in variants of concern, selective boosting of immune responses targeted specific RBD epitopes, 
such as the sites defined by these antibodies, may induce breadth against current and future variants of concern. And it has, and that's been shown by other studies going forward, Omicron and the rest of them. It's a no-brainer. We're in a situation where people that have naturally, I mean, again, I, I keep showing some of these things lately because it continue to be relevant. But I just talked about this again yesterday. The point is, this is the same, what we're seeing. That if a majority of unaffected adults, people that never came in contact with whatever we're saying is happening in March 15th, 2021, already showed antibody reactivity. And you can dig into this. It's talking about T cells and memory B and everything else. People that had no in in contact with this already had immunity. How is that possible? Well, you can get into that if you want to dig into the study. The bottom line is it was there. Then you you look at that in conjunction with the fact that people that got who already had that, first of all, but people that came in contact with whatever we're dealing with here also had lasting, durable, robust immunity for seemingly the rest of their lives that go on against a variance of concern. All of this is very clear. And yet, nonetheless, they're still forcing injections that fail after months. This is why it's never been more obvious, guys. That doesn't even make sense. If you see, and that's, this is why they were so aggressively trying to pretend that natural immunity was a conspiracy theory. Like none of this adds up, and you all know that. So the point to going back is that this is where they start going long-term success. Yeah, I agree with that, which is why this has all failed, undeniably. But then it goes to say S protein trimmer stabilized in the closed state. So that's what they're talking about. They've they they claim stabilized the spike protein in the closed state, which would arguably prevent this from coupling with your body. Now it says, we found that all trimeric S proteins induced a T cell response and long lived strongly neutralizing antibody responses against SARS-CoV-2 and variants of concern. They said this in 2021 in July, except that's literally not what's happening and has never been seen in any of the studies. That's not what's happening. They're admitting that themselves now. So it's kind of interesting that when they just used this S protein by itself, they seem to get a response, at least so we're told. So then once they use the injection to cause this process, it seems to do the opposite. So is that a choice? Is that a failure? Does it even matter? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Also to consider is if it's in a closed state and it doesn't couple to your body, what then happens? Does it continue to circulate your bloodstream? Is that a good thing? I mean, this is we're being experimented on, and I think we all can see that by now. Now it says the closed S protein induced more potent neutralizing responses than expected. <clears throat> okay, well, if it caused the neutralizing responses, I'm curious to see what other it, reactions it induced in your body, because what, what we're seeing in the real world does not align with what they predicted this would do. These observations suggest that closed spikes recruit different but equally potent immune responses than open spikes, and that this is likely to induce neutralizing antibodies against conformational epitopes present in closed conformation. Well, that's an interesting statement. First of all, a lot of uncertainty there. It suggests that it could do this, right? And then it goes, what was the other one? Um, against, it's a, let me read it again. These observations, first of all, observations suggest that closed spikes recruit different but equally potent immune responses than open spikes, and that this is likely to include neutralizing antibodies. I mean, that's that's an assumption on top of an assumption. Doesn't mean it's not true, but that doesn't seem to make a lot of, make you feel good about it, does it? But the point is, it goes, it basically suggests that it causes neutralizing antibodies specifically because, or, or that the, the main point I want to get at, that it, antibodies that they claim have an effect, but the point is this, different but equally potent. <clears throat> okay, well, doesn't that matter? If you're creating different antibodies, are we, I mean, let's, let me go back to the conversation about the spike protein shedding of it in and of itself or spreading, however that happens, Salk Institute discussion. 
what is that? Is that COVID? Is it something else? Okay. Well, if you're giving, if you're creating, if you're altering the spike protein in some way, and then you're admitting that it actually creates different, a different response, doesn't that go back to the same discussion about whether that's the right antibodies or whether that's going to hurt your body? Right. Well, since we're talking about it still, here's what Ryan Cole has to say about it. We know those signals from SARS-CoV-1. We've seen this in in cat coronavirus vaccines where cats ended up with this horrible inflammation swelling of the stomach and about 30 percent of the cats died. So we know once you prime somebody with an antibody and that antibody is good, great. But if you prime them with an antibody that is not good, sit back and pull out the popcorn because we're going to be seeing something horrific happening immunologically to a population down the road. Doesn't that apply? I mean, obviously it does. Observation suggests, now again, I will give it the same point in the other, in the other side of it. They're still saying suggest, suggest that closed spikes recruit different but equally potent immune responses. But that exactly points to what we're talking about. It's different. You're dealing with something else. You're causing, you're altering it to cause, just because it causes a response doesn't mean it's the right response, does it? <clears throat> but going forward, it says, we suggest that closed spikes together with their improved stability and storage properties, which is interesting, may be a valuable component of refined next generation vaccines. Except that's not what happened. I'll show you in a moment. They use these for the ones being given to people now. Importance, it says, vaccines in use against SARS-CoV-2 <clears throat> induce immune responses against the spike protein. There is intense interest in whether the antibody response induced by vaccines will be robust against new variants, as well as in next-generation vaccines for use in previously infected or immunized individuals. So what does that show you? They already knew the plan, whether or not you got the injections, was that you were, their next ones were going to be applied for the immunized individuals. They always plan for this to be a monthly, weekly, yearly kind of thing, just like the flu. And we were called conspiracy theorists for saying that was possible in the beginning. And now they're going, well, it's probably going to be every year, which will become every six months, which will become every three months or whatever they want it to be. And we'll still be conspiracy theorists, even as we're proven correct. But it goes forward to say closed spikes or mRNA vaccines based on their sequence can be a valuable component of next generation vaccines. Again, odd, even despite the fact that as this was written, it was very clear that they were being used already. This goes back to 2020. September 29, 2020. The tiny tweak behind COVID-19 vaccines. Now, what's interesting is this is the same thing. They're talking about the same action. So if it was done in September 2020, why wouldn't they have, why, I mean, the idea would be that why are they talking about this like something in the future? At the end of the day, it was something that was applied, but why was this sort of kept quiet. I mean, I, you would think this would be blasted in a lot of different conversations. Maybe I just missed it. But it seems interesting now that it's being talked about going forward. Like, they're, as, don't forget, Biden is sending the stabilized spike protein, not the injection, but just the stabilized spike protein around the world. Check out what this says. On January 10th, as you know, Japanese scientists uploaded the genetic sequence to, of the novel coronavirus, later named SARS-CoV-2, to an open access website, GenBank. Well, Quickly, on another side point, remember, this is what we've made clear many times. This is the Moderna website, by the way, from the archive. You know why? Because they no longer have this on their website. I wonder why that would be. Why would you remove the breakdown of the timing of how you did this? Maybe because people like me continue to make the argument that they provably, verifiably, created injections before they even had an isolate. Now here, 
oh, I think I closed it on accident. Where was that? Right here. Here is. I just had the link ready. As you can see, by the way, here's the link. Right there. Moderna's work, potential vaccine against COVID-19. Here, same link. I can't zoom in on it, but you can see it in the URL, right? Now watch. Redirects you somewhere else. Hey, look, our story. Nice. Now they've created a sanitized, cultivated page where you don't get the same information. Isn't that interesting? I wonder why. Now, yes, they have this weird little truncated breakdown of whatever they think you, you're needing to know, but that's not the reality of what happened. This is the reality of what happened, and they'll show you why they don't want people to see this, I, I would argue. It shows you here, they say 10th in that article, January 11th, Moderna claims, Chinese authorities shared the genetic sequence of the novel coronavirus on January 11th. Okay, now before we go forward on that, take a look at what China said about that process. Why has the data not been shared? No, the data isn't isolated as a virus. That's the issue. No, the data isn't isolated as a virus. That's the issue. That was on NBC. Now, as I've made clear many times, to be objective, the point is, well, arguably, yeah, they sure could have done it after that. I have never seen evidence of that. No one's met Koch's postulates. We've seen this and discussed this many times. The bottom line is, regardless of that, it's verifiable that on January 11th, they released the, just the genetic sequence. And he, you just heard him say it, directly from the, mouth, the, mouth, the, horse of the, the horse's mouth, directly from the CDC from China saying, we did not isolate this at the time they said that. Okay. So how is it possible that they can release genetic sequence and two days later, without isolation, the NIH and Moderna's infectious disease research team finalized the sequence for the one they're still using? That means it never changed. Right to this day, variants, everything else, nothing. They're still basing it off a genetic sequence that we didn't even verify with an isolate because it wasn't there. And we're talking about China, by the way. This is during Trump's just Trump's reign. We're talking about China, the big bad guy that didn't let us know. And yet we have still let the foundation for everything we're using, Operation Warp Speed, be a genetic sequence they sent us without any isolation. Yeah, that's called coordination, guys. That's called a propaganda narrative they put in front of you to act like there's back and forth that we're fighting against each other when really it's obviously not that, at least not that simple. Okay, so two days later, they've already made the injection or rather the, the sequence for it. By February 7th, a couple days shy of a month, the first clinical batch was already done. 25 days from sequence selection to vaccine manufacture. They're boasting about it. February 24th, a few weeks later, Moderna shipped the first clinical batch to the NIH for use in their clinical trial. So the bottom line is by March, people were already being injected with this substance. Or rather, yeah, March 16th, the first person being injected which, by the way, has not changed. mRNA-1273 is the same Moderna injection. Same with Pfizer, by the way. They did the same thing. Pfizer took the genetic sequence. And, I mean, they've talked about this back then. They don't say it now, that once that genetic sequence was posted, it was a race to the finish line. Nobody looked back for isolates and different things we're talking about, whether that even happened. Is this even the COVID-19? Is that even what's happening? Who? I mean, the bottom line is, if we're pretending we can't trust China because Wuhan flu and all that, why are we using their information with no verification? Then again, make sure you understand that's my opinion, why you can no longer find this information, or at least not on the same page. Who knows if they buried it somewhere else? Back to the point. 2020, telling you that this is what happened. So they're not using a genetic sequence based on nothing else and driving this forward. Days before his lab at the NIH or NIAID had partnered 
with the biotech company Moderna. So before that even happened to design the experimental vaccine, which it always was, which causes the uh, they needed to start. All they need to start was that sequence. See, this is they are aggressively trying to keep this from people's view. And and also, don't forget the mRNA platform, which maybe I can grab. Let's see if that one still comes up. Yeah, let's see, let's see if it works. Nope, they changed that one too. What a shock. Hey, let's see if we can get this one back. One second. This link right here. They must absolutely hate. This is why they're trying to go after these archives and everything else, because... If you're going to try to change and revise history, well, you sure as hell can't allow an archive to undermine that, right? Well, we'll see. I'm sure people did it. Let's see. Let's go back to the beginning. See what they have to say about it. We'll go to the end of uh, 2020. For those in the podcast, we're archived looking back at this page that Moderna has also sanitized as it's loading. Yeah, look at that. Gee, I wonder why they don't want you to see this either. You know why? Because it literally outlines what they right now call conspiracy theory. As it says, our operating system. Same page right here. This is the same page. Watch. Boop, right back there. All gone. Is operating system in there? Nope. I wonder why they changed the terminology, right? What a strange, obvious thing to do. Here's what it says. This is what it used to say. Our operating system. Recognizing the broad potential of mRNA science, we set out to create an mRNA technology platform that functions much like an operating system on a computer. That's their terminology. But if you say it exactly like that, you're called a conspiracy theorist everywhere else. It is designed so that it can plug and play, not our terminology, interchangeably with different programs. In our case, the program or app is our mRNA drug, and which is mod RNA. That's the truth. The unique mRNA sequence that codes for protein. We have dedicated a team, several hundred scientists, engineers, solely focused on advancing Moderna's platform technology. Where are they doing that during a supposed biggest pandemic of a century, right? Interesting. And then they censor this from you. Okay, the point was... It's a platform that can be applied going forward. So all they need is a sequence. So next thing they knew is another sequence. They just adapt the new thing and pretend like they don't need safety trials because all we're doing is changing the sequence. You're, this, this is a, we are being deceived aggressively right now. It helps that Moderna's vaccine is based on messenger RNA, but no, again, it's mod RNA. Let me see if that even pops up in here. Nope. But just in case you guys don't remember that, mod RNA is the reality. That's what the, that's what these things are actually using. A nucleoside modified RNA or mod RNA, which I think it even lists in here. Yeah, it says an important application in the development of mRNA vaccines, talking about all of them, whether comirnaty they now list as comirnaty, even though it's not even in use. But why would they not want to use mod RNA? Well, because it's modified. It's not actually, re, it's, it's not organic. It's something they're creating. So just one more step to show you. It's, it's why wouldn't they just be honest about that? Why would they call it mRNA when it's actually incorrect? It's not. It's mod RNA. It's very strange and very telling. But it says it helps that Moderna's vaccine is based on this, which, again, is just coincidental, right? But there's a third, more subtle secret to their success, a tiny bit but oh-so-important tweak to a crucial vital component called the spike protein. It says viruses multiply by dumping their genes into our cells and hijacking our cellular machinery to crank out new virus particles. But first, they need a doorway into the cells. Coronaviruses are studded with spikes, which 
uh, grab hold of proteins, de decorating our own cells like doorknobs. Once attached, that's what I was talking about, coupling. Once attached, the spike undergoes a dramatic transformation, stretching before partially turning inside out to forcefully fuse with our cells. Scientists believe that for a COVID-19 vaccine to be effective, remember this is 2020, September, our immune systems must develop antibodies that prevent this fusion. So ask yourself if they're producing different kinds based on the different stabilization. Does it apply the same way? It's pretty fast and loose, isn't it? It's sort of like mix and match your vaccines because as even the experts said, they were guessing their way out of a paperback. The point is, I don't have a problem that this is about testing it on you, I would argue. The bottom line is the antibodies aren't all created equal, but it's saying that they, our immune system must develop antibodies to prevent the fusion from that happening. Such antibodies must target the spike protein in its aptly named pre-fusion confirmation. Okay, so then they stabilize it. They remove. They they make it in a closed state, and you produce the antibodies for that. Well, is it the same thing? It will stop it when you come into contact with a thing that's not closed state. Doesn't seem to suggest that, does it? Based on their own science, unfortunately for vaccine developers, spike proteins are liable to spring from their stubby perfusion shape into their elongated post-fusion form on a hair trigger. Fortuitously, Graham and a former postdoc, Jason McClellan, devised a solution to this problem before the pandemic. Well, isn't that interesting? So they did this before it even started. And it just so happened to be the thing they applied to the inve injections they used. Really? Through a bit of structural biology and persistent protein engineering, McClellan discovered that adding two prolines, which don't forget that the, the thing we've talked about in the alterations to the Pfizer injections after they gave it to people, the proline, uh, what, I, what was it? I have the thing down here, proline mutations, the it wasn't mutations, but the discussion of what they've done to the injections after and they've rolled out, one of the, the prolines were one of the things that they altered, acting like it wasn't different. But this seems like an important change to me. Adding two prolines, the most rigid of the 20 amino acids, to a key joint of a vaccine spike protein could stabilize the structure's profusion shape. So ask yourself this, if right in the beginning they realized quite quickly this was hurting people and they tried to do this to make it better, doesn't that acknowledge they knew something was wrong? This, that's what I was talking about, the 2P mutation, worked in preclinical studies of Graham and Moderna's MERS vaccine. So they applied it to Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine. Interesting. But yet that happened in the post-release. As Norbit Party, an mRNA vaccine scientist at the University of Pennsylvania puts it, quote, we're very lucky, actually, that scientists worked out the 2P mutation for MERS vaccine before COVID-19 pandemic. Quote, it wouldn't be possible to go so fast with a Moderna vaccine otherwise. Yeah, what a coincidence, right? Our companies, including Johnson & Johnson, Novax, Pfizer, are hoping at this point to use that mutation, which they did later apply, which is the point. That's 100%. So is it right here to jump ahead that they did? It says most of them are now using this 2P mutation, Pfizer being one of them. This is also from November 2020, leading COVID vaccine candidates depend on NIH technology. So it just so happens that the very thing they need for this process is owned by the NIH. Look at that. Developing antibodies to the pre-fusion spike protein is considered crucial for vaccines, but natural spike proteins in isolation are inherently unstable and do not retain the pre-fusion shape. This presents a significant challenge for coronavirus vaccine development. Here's another alternative thought. How about the fact that they tried to make this happen but failed, and that's why it's going awry? And now they're trying to dig their way out of a hole that they created. I mean, there's so many possibilities here. The bottom line is the evidence makes it clear that this is hurting people and they know that. And they're just trying to rush forward to the next thing while hoping you don't see what's happening. But yeah, somebody's in the comment. This, we should genuinely be asking whether this is the self-spreading concept, whether this is a bioweapon in and of itself. It sure as hell seems like that. Now, whether it's, let's just say it's not. 
Let's just say it's literally not. But you look at the definitions of what this is doing and what the definition of a bioweapon would be. And if they do the same thing, does it even matter? It's interesting. Long before this pandemic, NIH scientists working for academic researchers came up with a solution. Long before this ever started. What a coincidence. They engineered a new way of freezing coronavirus spike proteins in the prefusion shape. This prefusion spike protein for an earlier coronavirus, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, or MERS, produced a stronger antibody response at lower doses than the naturally occurring protein in mice. So they created something, altering this spike protein, that created a higher response. Now, is that a good response? Did it lead to antibody-dependent enhancement? Did it kill these mice? Well, every single one of these in history before this did. So we know this is what happened. These things hurt them, and that's why they didn't come to pass. The only time these things have actually had an effect where they used them in real in a real-world sense were with COVID-19. So ask yourself why it got applied now. What's the difference? Well, the lipid nanoparticles, they claim, because it delivered it. Well, we know in the history, by increasing those nanoparticles is what caused even more problems. And no one's ever explained why that was apparently rectified? Well, clearly not. We can see what's happening in the world. The approach required substituting two amino acids with prolines near the central helix. Uh, and, and basically says the scientists filed a patent application covering this approach, which by the way, there's another conversation to be had there about how Moderna or, and Pfizer have basically played it fast and loose with these patents and people's work and got sued for it. When severe acute respiratory syndrome two emerged, the scientists realized the same approach could work for the new virus. They filed another patent application. And again, now most of these, all of the leading ones are using 2P, the 2P mutation approach. Years of public investment have fueled the rapid advancement. Yeah, but you know what it didn't rapidly do? Safety trials, which they did rapidly anyway. So all those people out there confused about the fact, well, we've been doing it for 20 years. Well, the safety trials don't get skipped because you've been researching technology for 20 years. You still have to go through the safety trials, no matter how many times you've researched the technology. But see, these people on Twitter will go, well, 20 years. Oh, that's why we did. We've been studying the safety for 20 years. No, you haven't. You've been studying technology for 20 years. And even then, we're talking about something very different in the abstract. But our analysis is limited by a lack of transparency, the article points out. Gee, that seems shocking. This is the lack of transparency from the very people that are working for you, for your safety, of course. The precise nature of the licensing agreements between the federal government and the corporations remains unclear. As of early August, the NIH, the academics, and the corporations involved were still discussing details around licensing and royalty agreements. Right, because it's all about your health, right? But it is clear that the federal government's early investment in coronavirus research laid the foundation for the rapid response, helping accelerate accelerate the development of many leading vaccine candidates. Don't miss that point. It's not just COVID-19. This is the future of what they want to build, and it's doing it for flu and for cancer and for everything else. It's all happening right now behind the scenes, even as these things hurt people. These candidates then received billions of dollars in additional funding from the U.S. government, among others. Okay. Just quickly showing you that this discussion goes far back. I mean, 2018 before stabilized coronavirus spikes. This is something they've been working on for a long time. So it's pretty interesting. This ends up being the main and most important thing in what we now know is a very controlled and manipulated discussion. Well, bringing this to today or more current, there's an interesting overlap. Now, there was a natural, or so we're told, mutation of the spike protein, of the of SARS-CoV-2 spike protein by D614G variant. Now, what it discusses in this is how this had an effect on it, and a stabilizing effect. It says an earlier, an early variant, the D614G, rapidly became dominant and is maintained in current variants of concern, 
Now, we've talked, this is the Zang et al. We just talked about investigating the structural basis for the increased spread of the variant, which does so even though it binds less tightly to the host receptor. Okay, well, isn't that exactly what we just talked about? Maybe not less tightly, but just not maybe binding at all, but we know that's not actually how this working. Well, there seems to be some overlap here. This stabilization, it says, effectively increases the number of spikes that can facilitate infection. Hmm. Okay. Well, that might be what we're talking about here. Might be why we're seeing this happen. And this, in my, if this was the deliberate direction, that would lean in the direction of the, you know, a weapon essentially. How this could be used in a way to increase that. But of course, the idea is that this is not very dangerous in the broader sense. And the idea is that people are, I mean, the pandemic of the injection is happening right in front of us right now, and they're still pretending like the the uninjected are the problem. Seems like from the very beginning, this idea of a leaky vaccine was sort of an intentional thing. Sort of my thoughts on that, but nonetheless. This seems to be pretty damning. Here's another one from March 19th. SARS-CoV-2, again, D614G mutation, stabilizes spike protein, may explain faster spread. The SARS-CoV-2 variants that have emerged in the past few months have attracted an, immen- an immense amount of speculation. And don't forget, guys, the, core, the time correlation between when they added these proline mutations into the injection, quietly and pretended like nothing changed, and this weird mutation that suddenly caused more spread. Hmm. SARS-CoV-2 variants that have emerged in the past few months, totally natural, possibly not, have attracted an immense amount of speculation, specifically whether the mutations may confer an an advantage to the virus, render our antibodies ineffective, and lead to vaccine escape. Well, sort of seems like what's happening, doesn't it? I mean, I can go back again to the Omicron discussion about where that actually started and whether these things are being planted, used. Shouldn't be afraid to ask questions. I'm not saying I know that for sure. Just simply theorizing, asking questions. But, you know, today in the world of conspiracy theory, apparently you're not allowed to investigate. You're not even allowed to ask questions. All you're allowed to do is nod when they tell you what you're supposed to think and then talk about research. I'm smart because I did my research by listening to what I'm supposed to think. That's what they want from you anyway. Oh, same article. Yeah, same one. Finally, again, same point, this Boston Children's Hospital, same thing from March 23rd, sturdier spikes may explain SARS-CoV-2 variants faster spread. Now, we're talking about something different, to be clear, but we're still discussing the idea of the prolines and how this affects it and the stabilization of it. So I just simply want us to think, regardless of how this is going forward and whether just the idea of a stabilized spike protein being shared around the world to be used in some way to help anybody, why is the spike protein what we're using at all? Why is it the focal point? I get it if it was in in if you're talking about a virus that that's one protein within it and that's being used like classical understanding of vaccine technology if that's even how that works. But when you're pulling out the one thing that we now know is cytotoxic, you're focusing on the one thing we know is the largest problem, and in fact stabilizing it in a use that I would argue doesn't necessarily guarantee better outcome. But you know, I want you guys to research for yourself. This is investigatory. Investigatory. But all of that aside. Whether it's coupling or not, the spike protein itself is capable of causing disease. We've seen them circulating in the bloodstream. We've seen all of this, and it doesn't necessarily have to work the way that they're discussing it. This is a dangerous concept. But then also on top of all of that, you're still giving people an injection with mRNA, with lipid nanoparticles, with everything else we're we're discussing that has been verifiably shown to have some detrimental effects. At what point do we just stand up and say this is enough? I'm tired of being experimented on. I'm tired of being told that I have to do what you tell me for my health or my child. Because you claim we're in an emergency that you just said is not happening anymore. I mean, we need to, people need to stand up and say this is enough. 
Now, let's not forget how Dr. Warren, the discoverer of this of mRNA specifically, has said on the record, and yes, he has walked this back to a degree on his Twitter account since, but he said, and this is important, and this is just Andy Swan pointing out my favorite thing today about how Twitter suspended the inventor of mRNA technology for saying that vaccinated persons could shed spike protein. This is on the archive because it's now gone. But it says, I believe the shedding idea is that the vaccinated shed spike protein, not virus. And it's certainly true that people vaccinated with mRNA vaccines do shed spike protein, but in minuscule amounts that almost certainly can't cause disease. Now, by the way, now that's his opinion. He is an expert, so take it for what you will. But this, the science that has later come out has made it very clear that it's enough, definitely enough to hurt people. And that's I've gone over this extensively. Even as more recent discussions, it says right here, viral shedding, i.e. plain old viral transmission during nascent vaccine-induced immune response. He says, I, I can buy. But he says, claims about spike shedding strike me as science fiction. Right, so he's definitely kind of arguing this is not. But here's why he says that. Not because it's not happening. And this is what I want people to hear. The vaccinated shed tiny amounts of spike protein in urine, et cetera. But the one main point that I did, and this is from a peer-reviewed study, is from the sweat glands. He just says he doesn't believe that it's relevant. And that's sort of the same point he makes here, right? It's almost certainly can't cause disease, but it's happening. Even as he walks it back, he's saying, yes, it is there. It's a small amount. So bottom line, guys, if one small amount is enough to actually get you sick and cause disease, that's all we're talking about here. And then we need to think about cell spreading, bioweapon, whatever else you want to consider. But the bottom line is this is a real thing. And if we're circulating stabilized versions of this, what are we doing? What are we actually talking about? I choose to believe, based on the data, the facts, what we're my research, that this is a long, long-term investigation. It's a re, we are being experimented on. They are researching what this can do, what different groupings will do, different batches do different ways, different. I mean, you can go on forever. Israel's been open about the fact Pfizer calls it Israel, the world's lab. We are being experimented on. Now, that's my opinion, guys. You don't have to listen to my opinion. Just look at the facts I lay out for you and ask the question, right? Look at Louisiana. Is that actually legally binding? Is that necessary? Is it right? Why would we be sharing this stuff if it's hurting people? I genuinely believe it's because of stuff like this. Share with me today, May 7th. Gene editing of animals and plants. Get the go-ahead. Oh, weird. You mean the fake news discussion of genetic? I mean, we're being genetically edited right now. If you're on on <laughs> unintelligent enough, I guess, to, to dabble in this whole alarming field. But it says gene editing of animals and crops will be approved under legislation intended to improve productivity, make food more nutritious, and reduce reliance on pesticides and antibiotics. Oh, weird. So again, so a problem they've created is now rationalizing the next step, which they call conspiracy theory, a week ago. Right. The Great Reset. Exactly. Just like everything else we're talking about. Unlike genetic modification, which is GM. Here, I love this part. This is hilarious to me in a very sad way. Unlike genetic modification, gene editing does not involve introducing DNA from another species and is considered by many scientists to pose less risk. What? You mean the genetically modified food push you just jammed down people's throats for a decade? You told us it was completely safe. But we know it's not. You see, this is the point. We know it's not because it actually hurt people. The, Bill Gates also tied directly to the genetic food push, which in fact made verifiably so people in the areas they pushed it far more food scarce. People have a harder time getting food in the areas where they pushed this because it undermined their food control. Guys, this is, and now we're letting them use the same kind of push in your bodies? 
Genetically modified foods have been shown to be an utter gigantic failure. Maybe that's because they did something they shouldn't have. I can't speak because I know the technology doesn't work. I'm completely adverse to anything that goes against nature, in my personal opinion. It should be your choice. But now they're just going, well, yeah, that thing we we pretended was totally safe. It's safer than that. <laughs> genetic, genetic editing is le- genetic edit. Excuse, I can't talk. Genetic editing is less risky than the thing we promised was not very dangerous, but now admit that it is dangerous. Why would we trust them now? And by the way, it's really not. It's not, it's it's a wild west in your body. That's what's happening. However, the technology has been hampered by a 2018 ruling from the European Court of Justice that it must be regulated the same way as genetic modification. So great, a court ruling has found that we must regulate this the same way, and they just don't like that. So what do they do? They make sure it's safe. They alter what they're doing to make sure it doesn't apply. No, the Precision Breeding Bill will now, of course, introduce an exemption to the regulatory definition of genetically modified organisms to exclude genetic changes that could have been achieved through traditional breeding or which would actually occur. So what are they doing? Changing the definition. Shocking, I know. So they go, okay, well, the, the, the court ruled in protection of the population that this has to be regulated the same way. So they just go in and make a bill that says, okay, fine. So genetic editing is no longer under this definition. There you go. Totally safe and effective, right? We're all safe and effective because our bills are safe and effective. There you are. That's how the world works. They don't actually care if it's safe. They just make sure the bill and the definition doesn't apply anymore. And you get to keep going. This is why things are broken because there's no accountability. And you're going to see it go forward, guys. It's alarming. And we need to do something about this because this is the wild west of genetic editing of, of whatever they're doing to push forward their great reset kind of transhumanist agenda, in my opinion. But as always, my opinions are just my opinions and you should think for yourself. Ask these questions because it is just alarmingly clear that this is off the rails. So I will leave you with a clip that I played many times that kind of touches on the beginning of where, the kind of where this started, but the real alarming reality behind all of this that ties back to just humanity in general. So thank you for being here today, guys. I love you all. Maybe I should grab this before I say that. (laughs) Thank you for being here today. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Today, the job of building this nation geographically is completed. There are no new frontiers within our borders. So to what new horizons can we look now? Where are tomorrow's opportunities? What's ahead for you, for your children? The frontiers of the future are not on any map. They are in the test tubes and laboratories of the great industries. The Jacobardi case was one of the great judicial moments in world history. And the public was totally unaware it was actually happening as the process was being engaged. General Electric and a Professor Jacobardi went to the patent office with a little microbe that eats up oil spills. And they said they had modified this microbe in the laboratory and therefore it was an invention. The patent office, the U.S. government, took a look at this, quote, invention, and they said, no way. The patent statutes don't cover living things. This is not an invention. Turned down. Then General Electric and Dr. Jacobardi appealed to the U.S. Customs Court of Appeal. And to everyone's surprise, by a three to two decision, they overrode the patent office. We bring good things to life. And they said, this microbe looks more like a detergent 
or a reagent than a horse or a honeybee. I laughed because they didn't understand basic biology. It looked like a chemical to them. Had it had an antenna or eyes or wings or legs, it would never have crossed their table and been patented. Then the patent office appealed. And what the public should realize now is the patent office was very clear that you can't patent life. My organization provided the main amicus curiae brief. If you allow the patent on this microbe, we argued, it means that without any congressional guidance or public discussion, corporations will own the blueprints of life. When they made the decision, we lost by five to four, and Chief Justice Warren Burger said, sure, some of these are big issues, but we think this is a small decision. Seven years later, the U.S. Patent Office issued a one-sentence decree. You can patent anything in the world that's alive except a full-birth human being. We've all been hearing about the announcement that we have mapped the human genome, but what the public doesn't know is now there's a great race by genomic companies and biotech companies and life science companies to find the treasure in the map. The treasure are the individual genes that make up the blueprint of the human race. Every time they capture a gene and isolate it, these biotech companies claim it as intellectual property. The breast cancer gene, the cystic fibrosis gene, it goes on and on and on if this goes unchallenged in the world community. Within less than 10 years, a handful of global companies will own directly or through license the actual genes that make up the evolution of our species. And they're now beginning to patent the genomes of every other creature on this planet. In the age of biology, the politics is going to sort out between those who believe life first has intrinsic value and therefore we should choose technologies and commercial venues that honor the intrinsic value. And then we're gonna have people who believe, look, life is simply a utility. It's commercial fair, and they will line up with the idea to let the marketplace be the ultimate arbiter of all of the age of biology. <laughs>